Hey, I'm Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell, and I am so glad you found me. Reflections on history, literature, and music, stories about individual journeys, struggles, and victories. They come in the form of essays and narratives and journal entries and readings from my favorite writers. As I've said many times before, I've spent much of my life studying history, teaching history, and in essence... Rowing that boat, as they say, moving forward while looking backwards. And perhaps without intent, I have been blessed to match, as Frost said, my vocation with my avocation. So how could teaching not be part of the discussion? How could the classroom not be a major setting? It's more than that, of course, but certainly not less. Hemingway insisted that truth is manifested in fiction as well as fact. A figurative expression can be as powerful as a literal one. That said, I sometimes choose to use fictional characters to tell my story. There's a guy you're going to meet sooner or later, Quinn, Francis Quinn. He happens to be the main character in my book, and he's a composite of several heroes of mine glued together by my own conscience and ego. teacher in me loves a narrative, a story. Shelby Foote believed that history is best told that way so the reader can discover the plots on his own. Well, I'm still working on my plot. After all these years, I'm still trying to find my way, but that's all right. That's okay. I think I said once that the journey is the story and the story is the trip. If I didn't, I wish I had. Francis Quinn sat out on his favorite green bench taking in the day. Ray plopped down beside him. Ray Donahue, that is. What in the hell are you doing out here? Shouldn't you be wearing sunscreen or something? Just sitting here noticing things, Ray. I read once that Mark Twain was a great noticer. Yeah, well I noticed you didn't make the faculty meeting this morning, Mr. Quinn. Quinn was oblivious. I like to come out here every once in a while. Oh, I see. You don't come by the lunch crowd, but you'll sit out here by yourself. It's funny, Quinn mused, how if one person slows down from the hurried pace, it reminds others to do the same. Normally, folks pass each other briskly. If you're lucky, you'll get a polite hello, maybe a nod of the head, smile. But when I sit here on the bench, all sorts of people stop to talk, even when I don't want them to. Well, thank you for taking it upon yourself to slow down the whole human race. I can smell the roses as we speak. They both laughed and Quinn raised his middle finger. You know, Francis, this is your weirdo side. Better than my drunk side. Got me there, Ray shook his head and smiled. Hey, 
Can you make it to Meg's this afternoon for one or two? I still have one of those gift cards they gave us. Both men were well known around Melbourne's only Irish pub. One of the owner's sons played for them long ago, and he always took care of the old ball coaches. Sure, what time? It had been a while since the two of them had met for a coach's meeting. I'll get back to you this afternoon. Ray checked his phone and got up to leave. He didn't wear a watch. Well, that was a quick visit, Mr. Donahue. Yeah, you got a way of making people want to get up and go, Ray said. Beside, the bell's about to ring, genius, and he started to walk away. Quinn was oddly amused. Ha! Yeah, folks tend to like me, but they never like me for long. Then he finished the rest of his sandwich. Donahue stuck his head in the door. Quinn was sitting at his desk with his feet propped up, Tom Petty singing in the background. What are you doing, Ray asked. The day's over. Reading Howard Beale quotes, Ray. Who the hell is Howard Beale? Forty years in Florida took nothing from Ray's piercing Long Island tone. Come on, you remember that crazy anchorman in Network? Peter Finch played him. Quinn started to read a line out loud, but stopped mid-sentence. His friend didn't seem all that interested. You shouldn't have quit coaching, Frank, Ray said, shaking his head. You're go friggin' crazy. Hell, I'm already there, was his cheerful response. Will 4.30 work, Ray asked. I got a few errands to run. Four o'clock it is. Ray left to run his errands, and Frank returned to his quotes from the mad prophet of the airwaves. All I know is that first you got to get mad. Things have got to change, but first you got to get mad. Howard Beale. He had first caught the end of the old movie the other night and wanted to revisit Finch's character, but the chance to sit down and shoot the bull with his old friend was far more attractive. He closed up his room and headed downstairs. Quinn's link to Melbourne High School went far beyond his 30 years of teaching. It was part of him. 35 members of his family had graduated from Mel High, but he was not among them. He and his oldest sister went to Satellite High when his parents were renting a house on the beach. Quinn fell in love with two things at Satellite, baseball and a beautiful blonde named Jean. Baseball seduced him, but Jean wouldn't even give him the time of day. He would not give up. Played center field for a rather taciturn West Virginian who kept him on the straight and narrow during a turbulent time. War interrupted both his education and his baseball career. They sent him off to Vietnam, as the song goes, on his senior trip. Quinn survived, came home, and went back to school, headed north to Gainesville and earning a degree from the University of Florida. He never got Gene out of his head, and after a long courtship, they married and settled in Old Melbourne. Being a veteran was no help getting a job, so Quinn paid the bills by working construction and covering high school sports for the local newspaper. 
He spent several years framing houses in Satellite Beach and became fairly competent with the hammer, but he never lost his obsession with baseball. The game had treated him very well through the years. Baseball kept him focused when nothing else would. Quinn felt he owed something to the game and longed to be part of it again. He took a side job coaching the JV baseball team at Melbourne, and it just so happened that the principal's son played on that team. It became a very valuable connection. A year later, Quinn was given the opportunity to coach on a full-time basis. Again, baseball rewarded him with the chance to do what Quinn came to believe he was put on the earth to do, teach. Like Conroy, he believed that sports was a language of love between men who could never figure out how to communicate otherwise. When all else failed, he and his father, or he and his son, would connect through baseball, football, and basketball. Quinn was halfway through his Guinness when Ray got to the pub. He grabbed the stool beside him and bellied up to the bar. So Francis, what are you doing with yourself? Uh, hanging out with the dogs and granddaughters, Quinn replied. Writing a book, working on the boat. A book, Ray laughed. Oh my God, Quinn, you've always been full of shit. Are you finished? Hell no, not even close. Quinn knew what the reaction would be. With Ray Donahue, there was always levity. Can I read it, he asked. I don't know. When I'm done, I guess. Am I in it, Ray asked. Quinn just smiled and took a drink. Well, if I'm in it, I should get a preview. Ray was wound up today. I don't think it works that way, Quinn responded. What's it about? What do you think, asshole? It's about teaching teaching American history. Twain said, write what you know, and that's what I know, pretty much all I know. Ray checked his phone again and took a drink of beer. Sounds riveting. They ordered another round and let the conversation drift to baseball and family and stuff. Ray took the remaining portion of his beer and carefully poured it into the new bottle. Quinn never figured out why he always did that, but he was never curious enough to ask. So, this book you're writing, a bunch of rants about what's wrong with public education? Partly, yeah, Quinn answered. But a lot of it deals with the good stuff. That's going to be a damn short book, Coach. Quinn leaned back on the bar stool. Why don't you get your ass back in the dugout with me where you belong, Ray asked. Quinn laughed. He knew Ray would much rather have his old hitting coach back in the dugout with him instead of having him go off in this new pursuit. But something had changed about Quinn. He was done with coaching, at least for now. The two had been coaching and teaching together for the better part of 30 years, and they had had an absolute blast doing so. The trust between them was unbreakable. Although they were quite different in many ways, there was a connection that transcended baseball. Francis Quinn had no better friend. Ray had a way of tempering his seriousness, usually with biting sarcasm. He was always there, keeping Quinn's feet on the ground. I want to write a book about the good stuff, Ray. I want someone, anyone, to know that there's a lot of good in the old ways. So I am in the book, Ray said, laughing. Yeah, a little. I changed your name. Ray about choked on his beer. And I can't read it till it's done. It won't make any sense. 
Ha, Ray laughed again. It won't make any freaking sense anyway. Sort of a collection of essays, Quinn said. Not even sure what order they're going in. Well, I can't wait, Ray said dryly. They finished their beers, paid their tab, and headed out. The next day, Quinn sent a student down to Ray's room with a manila folder. This is real important, Amanda. Make sure this gets in Mr. Donahue's hand. So how'd you like it? You know me. Of course, some of that shit, I had no idea what you were talking about. Ray pushed the manila folder over to Quinn. Frank, why are you writing this? What do you mean, why am I writing this? Quinn looked forlorn. Why are you doing this? Ray seemed almost protective of Quinn, maybe fearing that his reckless idealism would make him a fool. Ray's sensitivities for his profession often appealed calloused over, but Quinn knew down deep that he still had some passion. He took a drink of beer, held it in his mouth for a moment, then swallowed. You know me, Frank. Just say it, Ray. Ray always did have a license to say anything to Quinn, so he pushed it. You're taking yourself a bit seriously, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Some of this sounds like it's coming from some guy handing out pamphlets downtown. I told you before, Ray, I'm worn down by the stuff we have to hear every day. Whatever we do is not good enough for the talking heads. I'm tired of the frickin' orthodoxy. I love teaching, Ray, and I figured out last summer that I love it for a whole bunch of reasons, and it's time someone talked about that part. We are good teachers, Ray, both of us, and when they leave us alone, we're still good. But they won't leave us alone, Frank, Ray sighed. And you think this is going to change anything? Probably not, but I just can't go along to get along. Quinn leaned back and crossed his arms. All these reforms, they're saying the same thing. That we don't know what the hell we're doing. When did you ever go along? Ray had the look of someone who wished he was somewhere else. Aren't you the guy who skipped faculty meetings for a year and a half? They never miss me, Quinn answered, and that was true. Let's see, didn't you rip the phone line out of the wall and break the intercom with a baseball bat? That was a long time ago. I've mellowed. What are you getting at? asked Quinn. He could feel himself getting irritated. And they stopped inviting you to baccalaureate after you managed to insult every other major religion. Tell me, Quinn, how do you piss off the Methodists? Quinn had to laugh. Yeah, they weren't too thrilled with the story about Jefferson cutting up the Bible. Ray, why are you bringing all this up? Because that was the Quinn I liked, and the one everybody else liked too. The table-thumping, rule-breaking son of a bitch who acted like he didn't care if he got fired from one day to the next. 
and was going to have his way no matter what. We were both flying by the seat of our pants, Quinn reminded him. So what changed, Ray asked. When did you become this Old Testament prophet leading teachers out of the frickin' wilderness? I worry. You worry? I worry that you're burning bridges you didn't even know that were there. A little late in the game to be thinking about that, Quinn said. Maybe I remember the way things were. Maybe I don't mind going down in flames. And it's pretty ironic that you should talk of burning bridges. That's not my point, Frank. Ray picked up the folder. Half the stuff in here, you need a doctorate to understand. Because we don't teach it, Quinn answered too loud for the room, holding his hands in the air. It becomes strange and unfamiliar. You're becoming strange and unfamiliar, Ray shot back. Why do you spend so much fucking time on the freedom and individualism stuff? I mean, you keep saying it over and over again. Because freedom is more than just being left alone, Quinn answered. That's the roots, Ray, Quinn said. As Willie Dixon would say, the rest is the fruits. Quinn seemed happy with his reply. Ray stared straight ahead, scraping at the label of his Budweiser bottle. He gritted his teeth and shook his head. Finally, after the long pause, he said, Is it possible for you to put one fucking sentence together without quoting someone? Usually someone I've never fucking heard of. You never heard of Willie Dixon? Oh, fuck you, Frank. Fuck me. Fuck you. There was a long silence. Ah, uh, you're right, Ray. Fuck me. Swinging. They didn't cuss each other out very often, but when they did, there was one recurring figure of speech. But the wheels were turning now, and Ray Donahue was about to get his money's worth. You want an answer? Here's your frickin' answer, said Quinn. And then he cut loose. I think America is more than a geographic expression, more than a goddamn military and economic superpower. If we get away from who we are, if we lose our identity, then we're no more, no better than any other frickin' civilization who has come and gone. We have to remember, Ray, but nope, we live in the United States of Amnesia and we're sliding down a dark hole and our great-grandchildren will be no fucking better off than our great-grandparents when they were stuck back in Ireland. Ha, at least the Irish remember their own misery. Quinn had realized how loud he'd gotten. Lots of eyes were on him. Everything okay, guys? Karen the bartender asked. We're fine, Ray assured her, just trying to save the country. Quinn finished his Guinness and looked around. I have no idea why I'm writing this, Ray. All I know is that I need to. Ray patted him on the back. That's good enough for me. But for the first time in a long while, Francis Quinn was the first to leave the bar. all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Stories We Can Tell, and I'm Jim McGinnis, wishing you fair winds. Mm-hmm.